Friends, as a nation, we're now in the midst of a time of introspection and self-assessment concerning the issue of racial prejudice. Some of us were raised listening to old musicals like Oscar Hammerstein's South Pacific. And if you remember, in that story, a white American sailor and a beautiful Pacific Islander girl fall in love, but their relationship is not accepted by the people around them. A song in the musical, You've Got to Be Carefully Taught, describes racial prejudice. Here are some of its lyrics. You've got to be carefully taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made, or people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. Now, friends, in my own family of origin, hate is certainly too strong a word, but my parents, who I dearly love to this day, and they were wonderful parents, yet they were not perfect, and they were not free of racial prejudice, and they shared their views with my brothers and me. And certainly, in their minds, certain racial ethnic groups were superior to others. One of the things psychologists tells us is that we unconsciously model usually our same gender parent and find ourselves later in life doing things just sort of naturally because that's what we've seen them do. And so in the case of racial prejudice, I think we all have a lot of self-assessment to do in terms of what sort of prejudice were we raised with. Now, I want to address that issue today, the issue of racial prejudice, from a scriptural perspective and ask two basic questions. First is this. Did God create different qualities or grades of human beings, with some being superior and others inferior? Or are all people essentially one and the same? And second, as Christians, how should we respond to racial prejudice in ourselves and in others when we encounter it? Our first text today is from the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. But before we hear that text, let me remind you that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is presented as the universal human story. We don't really hear about the Jewish people in particular until chapter 12. So these are stories about all people. Now in Genesis chapter 1, earlier, the narrator has already described in detail God's work during the first five days of creation. So now we've arrived at the sixth and final day of creation. So Jackie Reinecker is going to read our first text for us this morning from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and then verse 31 from the New Revised Standard Version. From Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, 
and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Friends, evidence of our uniqueness as human beings in God's plan of creation is that in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks not to the stars or the animals or the fish or the trees or the plants, but only to the people God brought into being. Human beings are so special that after God's creative work ended on day six, God surveys God's own work and declares it not only good, as God had done on days one through five, but on day six only, very good. Now, the key affirmation in Genesis chapter one, which differentiates human beings from everything else in God's created order, is that we alone are created in the image of God. The Hebrew word for image is salem, which the Greek translation of the Old Testament renders by the word icon, which has made its way into our English language, as you know. Several times, Salem describes an idolatrous image that should be destroyed. That's the essence of the third of the Ten Commandments. We are not to seek to image or represent our Creator because no static, no lifeless image or idol can adequately represent our transcendent Lord. And yet this is precisely what, as human beings, God gives us as our mission, to represent God to other humans and to the rest of the created order. Notice that in verse 27, that humankind is spoken of first as singular. He created him. In other words, God created humankind. And then plural, he created them. In other words, before God speaks of the two genders, God speaks of humankind as a single entity, as a unity. God, it, well, through Genesis, God describes, or we read in scripture, all human beings are described as standing as one before God. Our own Bob Gardner had a distinguished teaching career in the field of biology at the university level, and he reports to me that genetically speaking, all human beings share 99.9% .9 of the same genetic code. For example, in terms of our skin color, only 11 out of a total of 20,000 genes determine skin color. But because skin color is visible, we make a big deal about it. But from a biological point of view, as human beings, God has made us as a single human family rather than a variety of different species. Evangelical Old Testament scholar Victor Hamilton comments in a similar way and very insightfully about the significance of human beings being created in the image of God, according to Genesis chapter one. And he writes, it is well known that in both Egyptian and Mesopotamian society, the king, for example, Pharaoh in Egypt, or some high ranking official might be called the image of God. Such a designation, however, was not applied to the canal digger or the mason who worked on the ziggurat. In other words, not to the common laborer or the peasant. Hamilton continues, Genesis 1 may be using royal language to describe simple men and women. In God's eyes, all humankind is royal. All humanity is related to God, not just the king. Specifically, he writes, 
the Bible democratizes the royalistic and exclusivistic concepts of the nations that surrounded Israel. Okay, let me unpack that. In other words, by proclaiming that all humankind is created in the image of God, Genesis teaches that each and every human being is given royal status by the creator of the universe, as we alone image God, our divine king. So the Bible proclaims that while surrounding cultures only apply the term image of God to the monarchs and elite members of society, the Bible applies it across the board to describe every solitary human being ever created to every single individual of any and all racial ethnic backgrounds, no exceptions. So the language, exalted language from Psalm 8, which I used earlier in our call to worship about human beings being made a little lower than God, applies to every member of the human family, not just some. You see how profound that teaching is. It means for us that to suggest, as some do, that some racial ethnic groups are superior to others is a sinful rejection of God's good work in creation. Now, friends, when we turn to other parts of the Bible, racial prejudice clearly appears. It seems to me that many racial ethnic groups and even nation states assume that they are superior to other peoples or nations. We certainly see that reality at the time of Jesus. In the first century, Greeks felt far superior to others and so divided humankind into two groups, cultured group Greeks versus uncouth barbarians. You were one or the other, either a Greek or a barbarian. Likewise, our Jewish friends divided humankind into two groups, Jews, in other words, God's chosen people, or Gentile dogs. We can see Jewish prejudice against Gentiles in a prayer likely used in Jesus' own day. It was a blessing that each Jewish man was obligated to recite three times a day, and its first phrase was, I thank God I am not a Gentile. While indeed the Jews were specially blessed to be the first recipients of God's self-revelation, it wasn't because they earned or deserved that honor. Rather, according to the book of Deuteronomy, it was God's gracious gift. But that gift became for many Jews a point of pride, evidence they were superior to all other racial ethnic groups beyond their own Jewish family. Now by stark contrast, though Jesus admittedly spent most of his time in ministry with the Jewish people, he rejected the racial prejudice of his peers he respectfully interacted with a variety of non-Jews, including Gentiles like the Roman centurion, as well as Samaritans who Jesus' Jewish peers despised and avoided at all costs. So Jesus rejects racial prejudice and by implication as our example. So then must we. Our second text today comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It addresses the racial ethnic prejudice that existed in Jesus' day between especially Jews and Gentiles. Paul will, at least twice in this passage, talk about Jesus redeeming death, directly addressing the issue of racial ethnic prejudice and the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. So let's hear our second scriptural text this morning from a Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 2, 
verses 11 through 20. And Jackie Reinecker is once again our reader. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The word of the Lord. Friends, in that text, Paul says that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross breaks down the hostility between Jews and Gentiles that Jesus also reconciles both groups and makes peace between them. And finally, that Jesus' death creates in himself one new humanity in place of the two. Jesus concludes by telling his Gentile readers in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. This means that Gentiles who embrace and follow Jesus as Lord are in Paul's eyes the equals of those born with Jewish ancestry who also trust that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Well, just as Jesus' redeeming work seeks to reconcile Jews and Gentiles together in one body, bringing peace, Jesus calls us to work to defeat racial ethnic prejudice to be peacemakers, reconciling different groups to one another in the name of our triune God. On the other hand, while Jews were often prejudiced against and felt far superior to their Gentile neighbors, the Jewish people, I think, have suffered in a unique way uh, from the horrible anti-Semitic prejudice of their Gentile neighbors, tragically, many of whom have claimed to be Christian. As I've studied church history and read about the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the Russian pogroms and the Holocaust, I felt embarrassed by the hateful things which have sometimes been done in the name of Christ to our Jewish brothers and sisters. While New Testament teaching is respectful of our, our Jewish brothers and sisters, sadly, our Christian behavior has historically often been hate-filled and hostile and deeply prejudiced against them. So let me say this, friends, today about 
Christian anti-Semitism, that it makes no sense. It's like hating the one who gave you birth, like hating your mother, because the Christian church emerged out of Judaism. And at its inception, the, the Christian church was thoroughly Jewish. Eventually, of course, thanks to Jewish Christian outreach, the Gentile wing of the church dramatically grew and in time became the majority, especially as Judaism's resistance to the Christian faith sadly hardened. Well, from what you've heard this morning, I hope you see that Holy Scripture speaks strongly and clearly against racial prejudice and that God in Christ calls us to be peacemakers, to be reconcilers between different racial ethnic groups in the name of Christ our Savior. Friends, according to Holy Scripture, the truth is that we are all made in God's own image, as is each and every person on the entire planet, regardless of racial ethnic background. Because of that, to think of any racial ethnic group as superior to another is a, a sinful rejection of God's good work. And second, Jesus calls us to follow his example, to be peacemakers, reconciling different racial ethnic groups to one another in his name. Let us pray. Almighty God, loving creator, we give you thanks for forming each of us in your own image. Fill us with your spirit that as the cross of Christ broke down the dividing walls of hostility between Jewish and Gentile believers, we might work to disarm hatred and prejudice and bring reconciliation and understanding between peoples of all races today. Through your love for us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.